Today we're wrapping up a series on church baggage, and we're going to explore that more in just a few moments. But it's right for us to begin by reading from the story of God and God's people, by reading together from Scripture. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along or just listen as I read to us from Luke chapter 20, verse 46, through chapter 21, verse 4. These are the words of Jesus. Watch out for the scribes who like to go about in long robes and enjoy being greeted in the marketplace, sitting in the best seats in the synagogue and taking the top tables at dinner. They devour widows' houses and make long prayers without meaning them. Their judgment will be all the more severe. Jesus looked up and he saw rich people putting their contributions into the temple treasury. He also saw an impoverished widow putting in two tiny copper coins. I'm telling you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they contributed into the collection out of their plenty, but she contributed out of her poverty, and she gave her whole livelihood. So y'all, we're wrapping up the series this week on church baggage, and guys, I have been amazed over the course of the past three weeks as I've been preaching, the number of emails that I have received as people have been sharing their stories of baggage that they've had as they've gone throughout their lives in church. And I actually want to take just a moment because the number of emails I have received that I'm trying to respond to is actually staggering. So if you're watching online this morning or on television, if you're here in the room, and I've not responded to your email yet, I will, I promise. And I tell you guys that the, the hurt that the church has caused in people's lives, it is absolutely heartbreaking. And so the goal of this series has not been to, to kind of say, look how the church has messed up. But the goal of this series all the way through has been to say, the church can be better. Here is what Jesus intends for the church to be in the world. And so many of us carry baggage. Maybe you're here this morning, and this is your first time with us in this series. And so before I jump in to the sermon, I want to provide a definition for what I mean. So church baggage, here's what I mean. Negative experiences that lead people to walk away from the church. Church baggage, negative experiences that have led people to reevaluate their relationship with the church. Do I want to continue to be a part of this thing given what has happened to me in my past experience? Church baggage. And I am increasingly convinced that we all carry some baggage because of what we have experienced in the church. And I got to share with you all a story because I have experienced some baggage just last week. Just last week, I emerged with a little bit of fresh baggage that I get to carry. Last week, I was sick. 
I was sick, and thank goodness Justin Wolk was able to come in this space and preach an incredible sermon, and I got to watch him, and that was great. But last week, I had a stomach bug. I had a stomach bug that I had picked up in New York. I had gone there for two days with my wife and some friends, and I picked up a nasty stomach bug. Now, let me just take a brief moment and tell you, if there is one place you do not want to have a stomach bug, it is on an airplane from LaGuardia to Atlanta, okay? But I made it. I survived. I'm here all is well in the world. But, but, but on Sunday, I didn't preach. I didn't preach. I wasn't here. And so what I got to do was really pretty rare for me. I got to rest, and I got to watch other churches. I got to watch other churches on Sunday morning. Do, do any of you watch other churches on Sunday morning when you're getting ready? So I did. And guys, let me tell you, it was a fascinating experience. Laying in my bedroom or laying on the couch in my living room, I cut on the television. And the first thing I did was I watched some of our local religious options, some of the churches in our area. And I'll be honest with you, when I was watching the churches in our area, do you know what I thought about? I thought about Wayne's World. Do you guys remember Wayne's World? It reminded me of Wayne's World with like the homemade graphics and the 80s style stuff. It was really, really, the piece de resistance, if I will. It actually made me very proud of some of the stuff we do here. But after a few minutes of watching the local religious options, I turned to the big guns, okay? I cut it on CBN. I cut on TBN. I cut on Daystar Network. For those of you that don't know what that is, those are like the national religious television options. And friends, this stuff was absolutely fascinating. And there was one service that I centered on in particular, and, and I was captivated by the whole thing. And the, the guy gets up to preach. And one of the first things I notice about the man when he gets up to preach is he is wearing these shoes. You might not have heard of them. They're called golden gooses. If you're not familiar with golden goose shoes, they are shoes that cost about $500, right? They're very expensive. And then beyond his golden goose shoes, and let me stop for a moment. There's nothing wrong with golden goose shoes. There's nothing wrong with what happened next because the gentleman then goes on to point out that he is wearing a Prada jacket. He's wearing a Prada jacket, and he goes to great lengths to inform us that his Prada jacket costs $4,000. His jacket costs $4,000. And then just to top it all off in a moment that I will never forget, he says to me and to probably the millions of people that are watching that his golden goose shoes and his Prada jacket were given to him as a sign of blessing from God. They were given to him as a sign of reward for his increasing faithfulness. What I don't need to tell you, but I'm going to, is this gentleman, as I re researched him on the internet, also has a $6 million jet that he flies around the country. And it would be one thing, friends, if he just talked about himself and the blessings that he was given by God. But what he does in the course of this sermon is he goes on to say that the same things God has given to him, God wants to give to you. The goal of the Christian faith, according to this minister, is that God would give you material blessing and you could have money and wealth and stuff. And then for the best moment in the sermon, he says to the congregation and to the people that are watching, if you want to receive that blessing, do you know what you need to do, brothers and sisters? Give me some money. It was absolutely priceless. And y'all, I walked away with a serious amount of baggage. Because what this guy did was he equated the gospel with material gain. 
And, and, and as I was reflecting on listening to this sermon, I was reminded of one of the constant complaints that I hear from people. One of the main sources of baggage that I hear as I talk about my life and life in the church in general, that so many people, when I ask them about the church, here is what they say, that the church only cares about money. I hear that, not just from people that have left prosperity gospel churches, but from church across the board. Far too many people have said that their experience of church is that the church doesn't care about me, the church only cares about money. And whether it is through the vein of saying God wants to bless you with material gain, or whether through the, through the lens of the church only cares about you because we need your capital, here's the thing I want you to know. If that has been your experience of church, that is absolutely wrong. That is absolutely not the way that God intended for the church to function. And if you're carrying baggage where you believe that the church only cares about money, what I want you to know this morning, as a pastor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's what you've experienced. Because God does care about money, but not in the ways that you think. And this preacher of the prosperity gospel that I listened to on Sunday morning, it actually awakened something within me. Because the fact of the matter is, friends, we absolutely do need to talk about money. We do need to talk about materialism. And we do need to talk about stuff. Because what has happened in the church over the course of the last 50 years, it is absolutely astonishing. Going back to this man named Norman Vincent Peale, it's really kind of the, the genesis of the movement. He wrote a, a book uh, that I cannot remember the name of right now, but essentially he is the starting point of this weird hybrid coming together of American culture and Christian story. Norman Vincent Peale in The Power of Positive Thinking, that's the name of the book, he essentially says that God wants to give you the things that you desire. And if you just think it, then it will come into reality. And friends, when Norman Vincent Peale began to preach that, the normalization process of culture and church coming together began. And in far too many churches in 2023, what you will experience is a caricature of what God intends for the church to be. See, friends, I want you to be real clear on this. I need to be real clear on this. That when I talk about the fusion of church and culture, what I am talking about is the way that the church is beginning to teach about money and about the accumulation of stuff. Hear me out loud and clear. That when I mention culture, I want you to understand that one of the dominant values in American culture is materialism. One of the dominant values in American culture is materialism. Did you, un did you know 70% of the gross domestic product of the United States of America is generated by consumer goods? 70% of gross domestic product, is it comes from us spending money and buying things. The dominant value in American culture is materialism. It is the air that we breathe. Please listen to me loud and clear. Because every single one of us from the time that we were born up until now have been told this myth that if we make enough money, then we will be happy. If we have enough success, then we will be happy. 
If we can consume enough stuff, then the desires of our heart will be met. The dominant reality of American culture is materialism. And what has begun to happen in the church is that we have begun to confuse culture and the values of Jesus. And we have begun to teach that the sign of God's blessing, the sign of God's favor in your life is that He will give you material prosperity. And the results of that fusion, friends, have been absolutely astonishing. They have been heartbreaking for the church. And please hear me out, friends. The materialism of our age, it has led to lives being devastated. One of my favorite writers is a man named Jonathan Sachs. And Sachs says that the materialism of our age has led us to spend money we don't have on things we don't need for a happiness that will not last. We're spending money we don't have on things we don't need for a happiness that will not last. And what has happened for so many churches is that they have fused together the gospel with the culture at large. And the blessings of God come to you because you deserve to have the Prada bag and you deserve to have the nice stuff. And what I want you to know this morning, friends, is that Jesus teaches something so radically counter to that caricature. Please hear me. Do not forget that when Jesus talks about hell, when Jesus talks about missing out on the life that God intends for you to have, one of the primary culprits is wealth and materialism. Seriously. So many people want to, want to say, well, preacher, stand up and talk about hell. Well, okay. But I'm not going to talk about people going to hell through the sins that you want me to. Because when Jesus talks about missing out on the life of the age to come, it is through the most rampant cultural value that we hold through selfish material gain. Make no mistake about it, friends. We need to talk about money. We have to talk about money. Jesus, in another story, says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so many of us are carrying baggage because the church has taught us a lie about what it means to think about money. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to spend the next few minutes just talking about Jesus' perspective on money. I want to spend the next few minutes talking about how we as followers of Christ can have our minds put in right relationship with our financial reality so that, so that we can live and live well. I read to you just a few moments ago from Luke's gospel. I read to you the story from Jesus' life, and I want to break it down for just a few moments. There are three primary characters in the story that I read. There are the scribes, there are rich people, and then there is the poor widow. And the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples, but I would argue Jesus is also saying to us, is beware of the scribes. Now, the scribes in the first century were the religious part of the religious elite establishment. In a world where most everyone couldn't read or write, the scribes were a highly trained professional religious class. They, they were right up there with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were honored and they were celebrated by the culture at large. And Jesus looks at them and he says, beware, 
Beware of who they are and beware of what they do. Because they love to be seen in their long robes. If I could translate into 2023, they love to be seen with their golden goose sneakers and Prada jackets. And people bless them because of it. Jesus says, watch out for those scribes because they love to seat, to be seated at the finest places in the synagogue and at the head spaces at the table where they eat these incredible meals and dine in high society because they love the finer things in life. If I can translate to 2023, they enjoy the material blessings that come their way. And Jesus says, watch out for them. Because as prevalent as materialism is in 2023, it was just the same in the time of Jesus himself. And so Jesus issues a warning to the church. Watch out for those that confuse the blessing of God with the accumulation of stuff, because that's not how God works. And then he goes on from there, and he says, yes, beware of the scribes. And then he looks up, and he said, look at those rich people. Look at the rich people who are dropping their offerings off at the temple. Now, in the temple in the first century, there were multiple spaces on the outer ring of the temple, where as you are walking in, you can drop your offering off. And it would have been in a space, very public spaces, where everyone could see and everyone would have known what was happening. And Jesus says, look at those rich folks. They come by and they give their offering and they wave to everyone. They make sure everyone gets to see them. Everybody gets to celebrate them. And Jesus says, they've received their blessing already. And then he turns his attention to the widow. And then he turns his attention to the widow. And if you grew up in church, you probably heard this story before as the widow's might. But the translation I read to you says two copper coins. If you look back in history, those two coins would be worth about one-sixteenth of a penny. One-sixteenth of a penny. And the lady has two of them. And she approaches the temple, the place where God lives, and she gives an offering that was absolutely, in the grand scheme of things, inconsequential. It didn't make a difference. And yet Jesus says the blessing of God is not found with the scribes. The blessing of God is not found with the rich folk. But the blessing of God is found with this woman who out of her poverty understands that I give. And the, what doesn't matter is the amount, but what matters is the state of my heart. She gives from the joy of her existence. She gives all, Jesus says, that she has. And the prosperity gospel would say the blessing of God are with the rich folk. They're with the scribes. But Jesus says it couldn't be further from the truth. The blessing of God is not conferred upon the haves, but the blessing of God is given to those who give from a great place of joy. When I read this story, when I think about this story, friends, I cannot help but go back a few chapters earlier. And I go back a few chapters earlier to one of the stories of Jesus where he's talking about the dangers of wealth, the dangers of accumulation, the dangers of stuff. And in Luke chapter 16, I want to read this to you. Please hear me loud and clear. These are the words of Jesus himself. Nobody can serve two masters. 
you will end up hating one and loving the other or going along with the first and despising the other. And then maybe the most important piece, Jesus says this, you can't serve both God and money. The Greek word for serve, you can also put in love. You can't love both God and money. And in the, in the story that we read this morning, you see these scribes and these rich people who are in love with their money and they miss out on God. And in contrast, you see this woman who sees the value of money, who takes it for what it is and gives God what he deserves. The blessings of God, friends, don't come from the accumulation of stuff, but the blessings of God come from understanding why we give in the first place. I need to be crystal clear. I need to be crystal clear on this, okay? Because the church does care about money. The church does care about money. Some of you have baggage because you have thought the church only cares about money. Now, the church doesn't only care about money, but the church does, in fact, care a great deal about money. However, not for the reasons that you think. And let me be, I'm about to, I'm about to make some people mad, some people in our financial office, they're going to get frustrated with me. But hear me, if you never give another penny to the church of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. If you never give another penny to the church, the echoes of the gospel will still reverberate throughout creation. God's going to accomplish God's goals regardless of what you give. The gospel is bigger than your pocketbook. So the church cares about money, not because we need yours, although we're happy to have it. It helps us get things done. But the reason the church cares about money is because Jesus cares about money. And the reason Jesus cares about money, friends, it is really quite simple. Because if you want to know what you ultimately love the most in this world, what you need to do is look at how you spend. If you only hear me say one thing this morning, seriously, honest to God, if you only hear me say one thing this morning, this is what I want you to hear. That the way you spend your money the way you spend your money provides an insight into what you love. And what you love, if I can use another word, ultimately is what you worship. And if you want to know what you value above and beyond anything else, there is nothing better for you to do than to look at how you spend your money. And Jesus is crystal clear. The way that we think about money will ultimately shape the content of our lives. You see, friends, the way you spend money, it provides an insight into what you love. And that's why the church has to talk about money. That's why the church needs to think deeply about it, because the way you spend will shape you to be a particular sort of person in the world. And if you spend all your money on material things, then I promise you, you will be shallow and you will be someone who is miserable. But if you understand the intent behind money in the first place, you can live a life that is flourishing and a life that is full. One of my mentors, when I was coming here to be the pastor of this church, he called me to have a real intense and frank conversation. And we sat down one day in his office and he said, Will, you're going, you're going to, from being an associate pastor to go and be a senior pastor. You're going to get a pay raise. And I go, yes, I know. It's amazing. And he said, look, 
along with this pay raise, because there's a lot of money, y'all. I don't know if you know this, but I actually do pretty, I like, I make more money than I ever imagined I would, and it's incredible, and it's wonderful. And my friend said to me, do not forget, along with money comes temptation. Along with money comes this radical propensity to think that it is ultimately the thing that matters the most. And he said, Will, your heart is an idol factory, and you will so easily fall into the trap of materialism if you are not careful. So, Will, promise me you will do this one thing. And I said, what? And he said to me, Will, pay attention to how you spend your money. And then he said to me this, because, Will, if you pay attention to how you spend your money, you will get insight into what you love. Because the most theological document you own is your checkbook. And I said to him, I'm not 75 years old. I don't have a checkbook. (laughs) And he said, you know what I mean. (laughs) I'm serious, y'all. Listen, listen. At the end of the day, what the church cares most about is you being a fully flourishing human being. God created you to be a certain sort of person in the world. And if you want to live into the fullness of who God has created you to be, then it is so incredibly important that we worship the right things, that we put God in the place where only God belongs. And the culture that we live in wants to take the accumulation of stuff and put it in the highest place where only God himself deserves to be. And so if you want to know ultimately what you love the most. If you want to know what you worship, then my friend is correct. What you need to do is look at how you spend your money. Look at your checkbook if you're of a certain generation. Look at your online account because it will tell you what you love. And the way we think about money provides a barometer to the state of our hearts. One of the earliest followers of Jesus is a man named Paul. Paul was one of the guys who wrote, in fact, 13 letters, 27 letters in the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 of them, so almost half of our New Testament. And two of the letters that he wrote, he wrote to a protege of his, a guy named Timothy. And these letters are very practical. They're down to earth. He's writing to Timothy, trying to say to him, Timothy, this is how you can be a good pastor. Timothy, this is how you can be a good preacher. Timothy, this is how you can be a good human being. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in words that are true for Timothy in the first century, just as they are true for us in 2023, Paul gives a stark reminder. And here's what he says, that the love of money, Timothy, is the root of all evil. The love of money, Timothy, is the root of all evil. Now, some people have gotten that passage wrong. What they have said is money is the root of all evil. No, 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 no. Money in and of itself, it is a a neutral, objective thing. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And the culture of our day, and too many churches have begun to teach that materialism, the love of money, the love of stuff is the blessing of God. But what Paul says is quite the contrary. It is, in fact, the root of all evil. (laughs) Listen, y'all, I know a lot of people who have a lot of money, and it's at the center of their life, and they're miserable. And I know a lot of people who don't have a lot of money, but they wish they did, 
And you know what? They are miserable. The love of money is the root of all evil. And the church needs to think about money. The church needs to talk about money, not because we want you to give it to us, but because we want you to flourish in this world. And ultimately, friends, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that this sermon series will be a corrective to some of the toxic things we have experienced in church. But what I am also hoping is that through this sermon series, you can emerge a better human being. And so ultimately, I want this to be practical. I don't want it to just be theory because theory on its own, it is worthless. I want this to be incredibly practical stuff. And so what I want to do is I want to end this sermon with three central questions. Because if you can answer these three questions, you are in a position to live and live well. So the first question that I want you to think about this morning, how do you think about money? How do you think about money? And for most of us, the answer is we don't. What is money? As I mentioned a moment ago, money in and of itself, it is a neutral thing. But for so many of us, what we are taught is that money is something I get when I work or that I inherit and I get to spend it however I see fit. And if that is how you view money, then you are on the road to destruction. How do you think about money? And what Jesus would tell you is that money in and of itself is not a bad thing. And that money at its best is designed to be this thing that God gives to us. That we can use to go out and make the world a better place. See, the trouble with materialism is that you keep it all for yourself and you don't give it out to the world. How do you think about money? And I would be willing to bet that the overwhelming majority of us think about money as something that is mine to use as I see fit. And Jesus says, money is God's, given to you to steward in a wise and right fashion. How do you think about money? And then the second thing that I would ask you is this. How do you spend your money? How do you spend your money? Because as we just spent a few minutes talking about, if you know how you spend your money, you will ultimately see what you worship. You will ultimately see what you love. So I am begging you. I am begging you. Go home, maybe not today, but at some point this week. Actually sit down and look at what you buy. Look at what you consume, because in the midst of doing that, you will see what you spend, and at a deeper level, you will know what you love. How do you spend your money? Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And ultimately, that's why the church is supposed to talk about money because it provides insight into what you love. And the final question I want you to ask is this. What do you love? What do you love? What do you hold as ultimate? If I could frame it another way, what do you worship? And if you want to know the answer to that question, answer the first two. If you want to know the answer to what you love, if you want to know the answer to what you worship, all you need to do is answer the first two questions. How do you think about money? And how do you spend your money? See, ultimately, friends, the prosperity gospel that says God wants your money to bless you couldn't be further from the truth. 
Jesus says he cares about your money because it shapes your heart. And he wants us to be fully flourishing human beings who carry the divine image out in this world to do good and beautiful things. What do you love? What do you love? And if you want to know the answer to that question, how do you spend your money? Because where your treasure is, there, there, your heart will be also. I hope you'll wrestle with that as we go throughout this week. And with that thought on your heart, with that thought on your mind, let's take a few moments now and let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We are grateful for another morning where we can gather together and where we can celebrate you. God, for some of us who are here today, we have bought into the lie that, that, that culture teaches us. The ultimate blessing comes through material gain. It comes through money. It comes through things. God, some of us believe that to be true in the depths of our bones. And God, help us this morning to know that that isn't what Jesus teaches. God, what do we worship? And for so many of us, we worship things and we worship wealth, and we hold it up on a pedestal. But this morning, oh God, course correct us so that we might worship you, so that we might put you in the place where you belong. For my friends who are here in this room today, God, give them the courage to ask those difficult questions. Give them the ability to think deeply about what they love most in this world. May we all, God, probe the depths of our souls so that we might emerge as better human beings prepared to worship you and to serve you with our lives. God, you care about money, not because you need it, but you care about money because you care about us. So may we know that to be true this morning. Be with us now as we continue to worship. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.